In today's episode, we've got reselling news from Amazon, eBay, Etsy, the United States Postal Service, and more, plus a pretty nifty What Sold recap. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to another episode of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks, and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host for today's episode. We have got a lot of reselling news, and again, this week, unfortunately, most of it is not all that good. (laughs) Oh, man, it's just one hit after another, especially over on eBay, so we'll get into all that. We've got a pretty good... uh, not real long, but some pretty interesting stuff in this week's What Sold recap. So that'll be in the second half of the show. If you are here this morning, joining me live on the YouTube, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, please feel free to comment on anything we talk about in the uh, next 20-odd minutes or so, and we'll do a little question and comment segment in the middle before we do the What Sold recap. But let's get it kicked off. News updates. With this reselling news, we're going to start with the United States Postal Service. Yet once again, have you ever had that experience where you go into the grocery store and you buy your favorite bag of chips and it used to be 15 ounces or whatever, and now you look and it's 13.5 or you buy that six pack of your favorite, particularly European beer, say for instance, Stella, and you think you're getting six 12-ounce bottles, but if you look real close, they're only 11.2 ounces. The United States Postal Service has apparently thought that's a pretty good way to save some money. So they are reducing the size of most of their free priority mail packaging that they make available to shippers. Uh, This is going to go into effect, I think, at the end of this month. So sellers who rely on the United States Postal Service free packaging may have to adapt as the organization will reduce the dimensions of the packaging. This is according to an article over on e-commerce bytes. I will, as always, link to these in the show notes and the video description below. The post office says changing the dimensions will allow the boxes and envelopes to be processed on mail processing equipment more efficiently increase visibility and reduce the need for manual package sortation, according to today's announcement. I did see, I read another article, which I don't have a link to, which says that these new box dimensions will better fit the new equipment that the United States Postal Service is installing. One would have thought that perhaps they would have just designed all that new equipment with the specifications of the already existing packaging. (laughs) Uh, in mind when they did that, but that is not what happened here. So here you go. The changes result in a maximum width of 12 inches and a maximum length of 15 height measurements do not change, including in some of the changes, the priority mail, priority mail, large flat rate box will be one quarter inch smaller in width. Likewise for the two sizes of the priority mail box weight and zone, another priority mail weight and zone will see a half inch reduction in width and a 5 8 inch reduction in length. The priority mail regional rate box, which a lot of people use, uh, will see the biggest impact, a 2.5 inch reduction in width and a 1.25 inch reduction in length. The current dimensions of that box are three inches high by 14 and a half wide by 16 and a quarter long. The new dimensions will be three by 12 
by 15. I don't know, that may not sound like a lot, but if you have come up with a system to maximize what you can put in these boxes, especially if you're doing like clothing or anything like that, that really relies on the box being the size that it's always been, this is going to be a real adjustment for a lot of folks. Uh, Some other stuff is going to change as well. The expedited packaging envelopes, Priority Mail Express Tyvek envelope is going to be shrinking. Um, So these, all these are getting smaller. The new dimensions will go into effect late this month. It seems, though, that the United States Postal Service, bless them, will allow you to use your current supplies, and they will also be continuing to fill orders with packages that are the current dimension. So they're going to blow through all their remaining stock before they introduce these new boxes. So get your orders in now. If you want the bigger boxes, order as many as you can and get yourself stocked up for the holidays while they last. So um, there is a chart here also which shows all of the changes. So again, I will make sure I link to that. Continuing on with the post office, USPS says to workers, scan, scan, scan. The United States Postal Service has told postal workers to scan, scan, scan. In a post on Monday, they discussed the importance of scanning packages throughout their journey and urged workers to perform all required scans. Quote, most employees know that scanning allows customers to know when their packages will arrive, a critically important requirement in the era of online shopping and increasing competition in the shipping industry, they wrote. But scanning also plays an important role in helping USPS measure its service. And herein lies the rub. My experience has been not so much that items are missing scans, but that items are getting scans, particularly delivery scans, one, two, sometimes three days (laughs) before the item is actually delivered to the customer. I cannot tell you how many messages I've gotten over the last year from a customer saying, hey, eBay, USPS says this item was delivered. I don't have it. And I'll always send them a message. I'm like, this is a kind of a common practice for the post office as they try to hit these service metrics. Give it a couple of days and let me know if it shows up. And sure enough, the next day or two days later, mysteriously, the box is in their delivery. So this is this goes back to one of the things I always did as a manager in my previous retail life manage the process, not the result. And the United States Postal Service pushing for all of these just scan, scan, scan without really managing the behavior and the process that goes into that, just measuring that final result. Was this thing delivered on time? Well, according to the scan, it was, even if the actual behavior says that it wasn't. So I think this kind of push will probably lead to more problems than it solves. I give them credit for being concerned about scanning, but I, I'm concerned that their focus is more on the end result of the actual scan than the behavior of what is involved with that scan. So you can let me know what you think about that. Have you had that experience where you got a message from a customer that they received a delivery notification but got no item, and then a couple of days later, they did? Moving on, ThreadUp uh, continues to grow. They are opening a new 10 million item flagship distribution center in the Dallas area to support growing demand for secondhand apparel. ThreadUp's first four level facility is expected to expand item capacity by 150% across its distribution center network to 16.5 million items and bring up to 2,000 jobs 
to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So if you're down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and looking for a little side gig thread up, might be uh, might be the might be the place for you. They are expanding their current operations in Lancaster, Texas, which is part of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and anticipate uh, two thousand up to two thousand new jobs. The company will invest seventy million dollars in this new state-of-the-art facility. It will be six hundred thousand square feet, located down there off I thirty-five and I twenty. Expected to be their largest and most automated. They still need 2,000 people, but it's their most automated distribution center upon its completion. It is designed to be their first four-level facility and will store as many as 10 million items, which will more than double the company's capacity to, as we said, 16.5 million across its network. Um, ThreadUp's newest distribution center underscores our relentless investment in technology and software that powers our network and enables us to deliver resale at unparalleled scale, said James Reinhardt, co-founder and CEO at ThreadUp. With expanded item capacity and automation capabilities, ThreadUp is accelerating its ability to unlock massive amounts of supply and building the backbone for resale on the internet for our customers and resale as a service clients. That's the important ones. And we're going to get into that here in a couple of minutes um, as they continue to expand that effort. ThreadUp again be, expects to begin processing items in this new distribution center in Q2 of 2022 with an initial capacity of an additional 500,000 items and 300 new employees and then growing throughout the remainder of the year to its maximum capacity. So big news um, ThreadUp just continues to grow and add new ways to sell and new retailers to their lineup. Speaking of which, one of their current partners, Madewell, has partnered with ThreadUp to introduce a pop-up retail physical store. I believe it's in Brooklyn. Uh, through its partnership with ThreadUp, Madewell has been dabbling with resale and secondhand goods for the last three months, making it one of the growing number of brands taking an interest and having more control over how its products are resold. That's key. They want to control the resale of their own goods. They don't want us (laughs) Uh, doing that on their behalf. So uh, mostly these efforts have been modest, like adding a shelf of secondhand goods to six of their stores, and then, of course, selling online. But with its temporary store focused on facilitating circularity, It opened in Brooklyn on Thursday. The brand is looking to test more ways to integrate resale into its business. Now, this store is only temporary. It'll only be open until October 31st. It sells pre-owned Madewell products for anywhere from $10 to $40. It differs from past resale efforts in a few key ways. Number one, it's 100% stocked with pre-owned goods. So there's no new merchandise in this pop-up store. It is strictly a resale store. Um, Product is sourced exclusively from ThreadUp's inventory. It also includes ThreadUp kits, which allow customers to send their unwanted clothes off to ThreadUp for cash or Madewell store credit. Secondly, according to Liz Hirschfield, the senior vice president and head of sustainability at Madewell, education plays a major role in the new circular store setup. Uh, The store's walls feature stats on clothing waste and its impact on the environment. There are also QR code stations throughout the store that link to online guides about the environmental impacts of resale. Along those same lines, the store featured both Madewell and ThreadUp branding. Although Madewell is behind the design and setup of the store, ThreadUp provided the product. Hirschfield said this was intentional as ThreadUp is one of the 
the one with all the expertise in resale, online and offline. Madewell pays an undisclosed amount to ThreadUp for use of its resale as a service offering, while ThreadUp handles the logistics of collecting, processing, and cataloging the merchandise. So I don't, I would not expect that Madewell is going to open stores like this, but they're clearly looking at how they can integrate that into their existing stores in addition to all the online. So that obviously dovetails nicely with the previous story about ThreadUp expanding their distribution capacity. So they'll only continue to add new partners and theoretically make it a bit more difficult for resellers to source some of these items. If you are a clothing reseller, again, feel free to chime in in the comments or in the chat if you're here with me live this morning and let me know have you seen any impact on this? Because this has been coming now for the last six or eight months. Are you noticing that supplies appear to be any different? Are you having to change your sourcing strategies at all? Continuing on with this, Forbes has an article. How companies are turning trash into products and profits. They talk about a lot of different things in this article. But one of them, of course is recycling used goods. The resell and thrifting industry is a huge opportunity for brands and the environment. Again, that push for the environment. If everybody bought one used item this year, instead of buying new, it would save 449 million pounds of waste. The resale market as a whole is expected to grow $64 billion to $64 billion by 2025. And in 2019, it grew 25 times faster than the overall retail market. Lululemon recently started testing a trade-in program where customers can return gently used Lululemon items to select stores in exchange for a gift card. Those items are then sold at a discount online through their Like New program. Of course, all the items are cleaned before being resold and items that don't meet their quality standards are recycled. Nike has also started a buyback program for gently used shoes. There's huge demand for rare Nikes and customers soon will be able to turn in their gently used or flawed shoes at select stores, which will then be cleaned and resold at a discount. The article says Lululemon and Nike are just the latest in a string of retailers offering incentives to customers and reselling gently used items. In 2019, Levi's started a buyback program called Secondhand, where customers can trade in gently used jeans and clothing items for a gift card. Items, again, are cleaned and sold online. Other stores, including Patagonia and North Face, have also been selling, reselling items for years. So <clears throat> they know where the money is. They know where the future is. They know where those buyers are that again that gen z millennial group that is very environmentally conscious and also very cautious about the way they spend their money um that's where what they're going after in addition to their existing business so the squeeze is on moving on over to ebay uh lots of stuff <clears throat> going on over at the bay over the last week or so, I've seen several people post about this on Instagram that sales have been really, really slow. I commented last week that September has not really been that great for me. Although, to be fair, when I went back and looked and compared it to last year, it's essentially right on par with last year. September was fairly slow for me last year as well. And I think part of that is you've had that back to school buy rush where some people are a little thin on 
free cash to be shopping online. So my September has been kind of on par with normal. We'll talk a little more about that as we go through this article. But a lot of sellers are saying their sales and their views of their items is way, way off. And they are pointing to eBay's new cost per click ad program, the promoted listings advance, which is in beta and launched last week. Uh, one top rated seller told e-commerce bites. They felt eBay was strong arming them to use it. Quote, it feels like my store has dropped off the face of the earth. No sales since the end of August, which never happens. And again, like I commented somewhere, I think it was on Instagram. I've been very fortunate so far. Knock on wood. I've had some pretty small days, $30, $35, but I've never had a day, let alone weeks at a time, where I've not made any sales. When they contacted the uh, eBay about this sales drop, the eBay rep pitched them on the new eBay promoted listings advanced, which I guess should come as no surprise. They're trying to maximize their profit potential, which as a publicly held company is part of their job, but as we've talked about on this show before, if they are reducing their own sales by hiding other items, they're not net net. They're not really making much of a gain. So I don't, I don't know. Another reader pointed to a thread over on Reddit where some sellers reported their eBay sales had crashed in September and speculated on again, whether this new ad format was having an impact. One Redditor said, I've never seen one of these. My sales are down threads that didn't result in many or most responses being, nah, all good here. The seller told e-commerce bites, this one is 100% uniformly dead here too. The seller wondered if it was a carrot and stick play by eBay to push the new ad format. Quote, call me a conspiracy theorist if you like, but I sure do wonder if my invite to try eBay's new pay-per-click marketing and the dearth of impressions are related. The fall-off certainly coincided exactly with that invitation, perhaps, We've been given a, quote, incentive to try out the new pay for exposure system. So again, let me know in the comments or in the chat, or if you're listening to the actual podcast, you can email me at galaxycds at gmail.com and let me know what your experience has been. Are you noticing big drops in sales and the timing versus the release of this cost per click? I went back and looked this morning just prior to getting signed on here, just to see what my impressions and my store views were like. And compared to the previous period, which would be August, my impressions are up over 15% and my page views are up nearly 10%. So I personally am not experiencing any kind of major drop-off above and beyond what I historically have seen in September. So, and this seems to happen with a lot of things with eBay. And I, I don't, begin to understand why, but they are very hit or miss. One seller will be having an issue and another one is getting through just fine. The next issue comes up, it's flip-flop. They don't seem to have problems by and large that are consistent across their entire network of sellers. And this looks like it maybe is a, a few more this time than is in some cases in the past uh, that are having this problem. But I, I, I would be the one on Reddit saying... No problem here. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't say it's all good, but I don't. I can't point to this particular thing as potentially being a cause for any of my problems. Another glitch, however, that may actually be causing all of us some issues is uh, an eBay glitch that sabotages sellers' offers to buyers. 
The article says, imagine sending an offer to eBay buyers to entice them to purchase your items at a discount only to have a warning included in the message that states you won't ship to their location. A reader had reported the problem in a letter to the editor published on e-commerce bites back in March. There's now a growing buzz about this glitch. Thanks to more sellers becoming aware of the issue and speaking out publicly, including posts on the eBay for business, Facebook page, uh, Don Hyden, the auction professor, uh, has commented about this. He's discovered that offers that buyers receive from him sometimes included the line item does not ship to you. The problem, he says, is that many people will not message a seller when they see they don't ship to them, but will simply go elsewhere. The only reason he found out about this glitch was because he kept receiving requests for, from buyers asking if he would ship to them. All these buyers were in the U.S., which I, of course, always ship to. I originally thought it was a small issue, but the amount of sellers that keep Posting, emailing, and messaging me has grown to several hundreds. Current glitch, of course, is frustrating to sellers who wonder how many buyers would have responded to offers if they hadn't been told that the seller wouldn't ship to them. What I want to know is how many people have I sent an offer to that got the same message and simply didn't bother to contact me? How many just go on to the next thing? I send probably on average 20 offers a day, and I probably get a 10% give or take, take rate on those. So for every 20 I send, I might get two sales. And I am curious, I've never had anybody reach out to me with this particular issue that says, I can't, I can't buy this. It says it won't ship to me. I had had a couple last week who, for whatever reason, were just not able to take advantage of the offer. They were able to put the item in their cart and buy it directly, but they couldn't accept my offer. So there are some problems out there with the eBay Uh, send offers option. Again, feel free to chime in. Let me know, is this something you have experienced? If you are a a buyer, have you seen this issue pop up in any offers that you've received? I've only received one. I was looking at a, a bike seat, a saddle for the new bike I bought. And I, I watched an item and I got an offer from that seller for a 5% discount and I would have been able to purchase it had I elected to do, to do so. So I've not seen that particular issue, uh, but it's clearly a problem. On to some hopefully better news from eBay. They're focusing on giving sellers more merchandising capabilities. eBay is focused on providing sellers with merchandising capabilities. That's the takeaway from a message to sellers from eBay's chief product officer, Pete Thompson, uh, on Tuesday. So yesterday, he referenced several initiatives he said would help sellers build their brand, stating that eBay was doubling down on eBay stores, including, quote, a new modern storefront that provides rich merchandising capabilities, allowing sellers to showcase their unique brand and inventory, such as featuring promotions to leverage coded coupons. They're really into these coded coupons. Thompson said eBay is testing a new About Me tab that, quote, enables sellers to tell their personal stories, share their philosophy, and explain how they source inventory as a way to better engage buyers and build trust. He also said they were working to integrate video, which they've been saying now since probably last December. So this has been, uh, they're apparently having some struggles getting that particular feature implemented. Uh, As far as I know, nobody has seen it yet. So they keep talking about it, but uh, nothing just yet. They're also working to improve shopping in eBay stores through the mobile app. 
We're currently testing ways that buyers can easily tap into stores to go deeper and find more listings, as well as learn more about who they're buying from. We're excited to see where these developments are headed and how we can translate our findings for all sellers. Some statistics that he shared, uh, coded coupons, 2.6 million unique buyers have used coded coupons in 3.5 million transactions since they launched that feature at the end of March. So that's that's a huge success. That is definitely working. This one I'm not so sure about. Buyers who visited an eBay store during their initial shopping journey have a repeat purchase rate that's 20 to 65% higher than buyers who don't visit stores. The reason I'm skeptical of that is 20 to 65% is such a broad range that it tells me they're just spitballing. They really don't have the data because that's just a 45-point spread. <laughs> uh, that's no better than a guess, in my opinion. So while I would assume from my own personal experience anecdotally that people who come to your eBay store become repeat buyers, I don't know that that particular stat uh, for my money, actually proves that. Uh, the eBay app was downloaded more than 50 million times in 2020. And lastly, since eBay launched the authenticity guarantee for sneakers and luxury watchers, eBay has authenticated over 1 million items. So that program obviously is working quite well as well. On that on a similar topic, however, they have another new loyalty program out, which has been kind of under the radar, but this one is for buyers. eBay has launched a new loyalty program by invitation only available in the U.S. in watches and sneakers categories. Again, those two that are authenticated. Uh, eBay began quietly rolling it out in May while it has a landing page where sellers can request an invitation to eBay has yet to make a formal announcement of this new top star program. Some disgruntled users say the program locks them out, preventing them from buying certain listings for sale on the site. One user named Joshua treated last week, accusing eBay of picking and choosing who can buy an item at a better price or not, calling it, of course, ridiculous and unfair. Sellers, for their part, are also discussing the program in threads over on Reddit, including one in which a user wrote, it seems odd that they have this elite program, but anyone is able to see these items. Couldn't they just make them visible to these special buyers only? As a buyer, I don't want to see stuff I can't purchase. And as a seller, I want to sell, of course, to anyone who has the money to buy my stuff. Uh, there's a YouTube video that's linked in this article. Uh, this particular top star participant said that eBay had promised to hold top star special events virtually and in person multiple times a year. Uh, eBay held its first ever community sneaker drop in June, which appeared to have been open to all users. So I, I don't buy or sell in either of these categories, so I'm not in this program. But if you are a seller in that program, uh, have you been invited? Have you looked at it? Did you even know about it? I did not until this article came out. Moving on to Etsy, they rolled out a new program uh, with a, a supplier of mailing supplies, but did so in kind of a non-transparent way. So Etsy is encouraging sellers to use packaging supplies from Eco and Close, but the partnership between the two companies stipulates the third-party vendor will provide Etsy with details about sellers' purchases when they order through a special landing page that Etsy shares with sellers. Etsy 
did not disclose the financial nature of this new partnership with the supplier, but said it helps attain its goal of reducing carbon emissions from shipping. There is, in the terms of service, it says, by clicking accept, you confirm that you are an existing Etsy seller and explicitly consent for eco-enclosed to share your Etsy seller name, email address, and order purchase history information with Etsy and its affiliates for research and marketing purposes. Etsy will use your data in accordance with their privacy policy. You can, if you go to this page, you can compare the prices on their direct website to see if there is actually a savings and if it's enough to justify uh, making that privacy concession. Uh, they, uh, Etsy reached out actually to e-commerce e Bytes about this new partnership last week, uh, but they did not call out this data sharing provision when they did so with this launch, they say. We're providing our sellers with the option to join us in our commitment to reducing the impact of e-commerce through a new partnership with Eco Enclose, who is also a seller on Etsy. We're helping U.S. sellers access and buy packaging made from responsibly sourced and 100% recycled materials that buyers can immediately recycle at home. So that all sounds great, except for the part where they're hiding, essentially, the fact that they're sharing your data. I guess I shouldn't really be surprised about the data sharing, and we've that that ship has sailed. <laughs> uh, let's be fair. We we are essentially open doors. Every link we click, we have surrendered our privacy. If you're on Facebook or Google or whatever, and you're using those logins for anything, all bets are off. Um, pretty much all your information is already out there anyway. Uh, but the fact that they have not been transparent about this is troublesome to say the least last thing for today in the news amazon uh has been duped out of two hundred and ninety thousand dollars by uh a person who was returning the wrong products amazon lost hundreds of thousands of dollars to one man in north carolina who sought refunds for a litany of high-end goods from expensive coffee machines to new computers that he never returned according to the justice department he now of course faces federal charges Hudson Hamrick, who lives in Charlotte, was charged Monday with wire fraud in the Western District of North Carolina. He's accused of orchestrating more than 300 fraudulent transactions that cost Amazon over $290,000. Uh, this alleged fraud lasted from October of 2016 to sometime in 2020. Again, as with many of these things where, where Amazon's getting scammed, this is a long-running thing before it was discovered and hashed out. Uh, during that time, prosecutors have said Hamrick would order an expensive product from Amazon, file a return, and receive a full refund. But instead of sending the product back, he is accused of returning a cheaper version that was often broken and worth significantly less, less than the item he received. He succeeded in receiving bogus refunds on the return of more than 270 products, about 250 of which were worth significantly less than what he initially ordered. If he did not initiate a return, he would seek a concession by claiming to have never received the product or that it arrived broken, broken necess necessitating a replacement, the government said. He would either then keep that new item or resell it on an online platform, in some cases on Amazon itself. So, ballsy. <laughs> uh, the government pointed to a number of specific transactions. Uh, he reportedly bought a Jura professional coffee machine 
in July of 2019 for $3,536. He asked to return it about a week later and was given a refund, but instead of returning the coffee machine he received, he sent another one of the same brand, but that was worth $2,000 less. He repeated the scheme with a $4,200 iMac Pro in August, this time sending back a much older, less valuable non-pro model with a completely different serial number. He reportedly sold the new item on eBay later that same month. So, uh, again, you got a source where you can source, but do it ethically. <laughs> uh, this kind of stuff, boy, I just... Every week, man, there's something new out there that is just randomness. So... Let's do this. Let me find this here. Gonna jump. Gonna jump over here to the chat real quick. Uh, lots of good mornings, mom's closet. I'm ordering a bunch anyways for Q4, so I'm getting the old sizes stocked up. Yes, definitely do that on those supplies. I lucked out. I was at a garage sale last week, and there was a box of the priority flat rate padded envelope. So the, whatever it is, eight and a half by 11 or so sized priority envelope. And it said free on the box. So I asked the guy, I'm like, do you care how many of these I take? And he was like, take the whole box. <laughs> uh, so I ended up with what's probably close to 90 or not quite a hundred of those. I mean, they're free anyway, but it was nice to just not have to wait for them and go through all that drama. I just picked up the box and threw it in the back of the truck. So, uh, that was kind of cool and will be very helpful. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, mom's closet TX Christie says, especially the regional a ones. I've never used the regional boxes. I probably should look into that, but I just haven't. Uh, JRKR1964, I missed it. What are the CPC ads? So we've talked about that the last couple of episodes. eBay has introduced a enhancement to their promoted listings where instead of paying for an actual sale, you now pay every time a person clicks on your ad, whether they purchase it or not. Now that fee is generally probably only a few cents, but it's per click. Um, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Mo over at Reseller Niche Podcast did a little experiment. He had, I don't know, 7,500 odd views of items he was running in this program and spent about $7 and got no sales out of it. So, but this is kind of the more traditional kind of Google ads ad program where you're paying every time somebody clicks on your ad, whether or not they make a purchase. Of course, the theory is that this thing bumps your listing to the top of the search results for that particular category, giving you a better opportunity to sell. I don't know how it's working out. I haven't seen anybody who has talked about having great success with that just yet. So we'll have to see whether that uh, works out or not for anybody. Mom's Closet TX, sales are fine, but views are low. I'm hearing that again from a few people. Again, I looked at mine and my views are about on par with where they usually are. Uh, why does eBay always screw things up for Q4? Yes, they do do a lot of, you know, like we talked about, it was either last week or two weeks ago, all of the new item specifics and the category changes that are rolling out next month uh, that they do going into Q4. It just doesn't make any sense. So uh, yesterday, a buyer said they could not accept my offer. So I don't know. Again, they're not real clear. This is JRKR1964 again. Said they could not accept the offer, but 
that doesn't indicate whether or not it was because they couldn't ship there or they just for whatever reason couldn't accept it. But the the offers thing is really kind of a problem. So I'm not not totally sure what's going on with that. With all that being said, somewhat sold on eBay. I think I've only got seven things. So this will be a fairly quick run through, but it, I think at least, again, it's some interesting stuff. Some of it will be things that you've seen here previously that I'm just reminding you of as you're out at the various sales that you might want to be on the lookout for. This first item, a 1995 Schwinn Bicycles full line catalog, uh, mountain biking specials. This was part of a big lot I picked up. was about 100 catalogs in a box at an estate sale that I got for 10 bucks. So I've got about 10 cents a piece in these things. Average selling price for me has been right around $20 with free shipping, which is what this one sold for on an offer. I had it listed at $23.99 and it sold for $20 with free shipping. So I've had several people comment when they've bought these. I'm so glad someone had these to offer. I had a guy reach out to me last week. His parents had bought him a particular Schwinn BMX bike in the 80s when he was a kid. I had the exact catalog for that bike. He paid like $20, $25 for it. And he was so thrilled to have that catalog with the actual bike that he had as a kid. So that's the kind of stuff you hope for because people will obviously pay up for it. These catalogs theoretically really shouldn't be worth all that much. Uh, but they have brought terrific money. Uh, been on a run here with these Doctor Who DVDs. Here's another one. I talked about these at some length last week. Doctor Who, The Ambassadors of Death. Story number 53 from the John Pertwee years. Didn't even know about this. Again, from 1970 to 1974, this was a two DVD set. I own this bad boy for about a buck and a half, and it sold for $23.99 with free shipping. College yearbooks, uh, you, a lot of times you'll find them in estate sales, and sometimes they're asking kind of, I don't want to say ridiculous money. I mean, I'm selling them for 20 and 25 bucks, so if they're asking 10 or 15 bucks for them, they're probably within the market, but as a reseller, you just can't make that make sense. I usually will pick them up if I can get them for a buck or less. Here's a case of a Ohio University from Athens, Ohio, 1982, the Spectrum Green Yearbook. Um I got this at an estate sale in a, with a bunch of other college yearbooks. I had this listed at $29.99 or best offer. I got a random offer for $25.19, which I went ahead and took and sold this thing. So again, college yearbooks can be okay. They're kind of long tail. They don't typically sell right away, but they don't do bad. This was a really interesting item, and I've got several more of these different books, but this was from 1905. I've got, a, again, a whole range of them. This was Ralph Waldo Emerson's Nature, published by a company and a guy named Albert Hubbard, but these are all in suede covers, so it's not a hard cover or cloth. It's actual suede. Really, really interesting piece with illustrations. The covers are in pretty marginal condition, of course, as you would expect from something that's over 100 years old. The, the leather on the suede is kind of chipping and fading and cracking. 
but they're really unusual pieces. I was able to pick all of these up at a garage sale for the whopping price of 75 cents a piece. And this one sold for $27.99 plus shipping. So real unusual. I had never seen anything like this. So I, again, I don't know how likely you are to find them, but if you find old early 1900s era suede books, they're probably worth some money. This item sold uh, overnight last night from 1946, The Conquest of Self by Gandhi. Uh, this was published in India by Thacker and Company. It was published in Bombay. It was a third impression of the first printing of this particular publisher's version of this book. I had this listed at an auction last week starting at $27.99 and nothing. It only got... I think four views. Nobody bought it. So I relisted it yesterday afternoon at $34.99 or best offer plus shipping and it sold overnight. So I sold it for essentially $7 more than I would have had somebody bought it last week <laughs> uh, at auction. So that's pretty cool. I had not seen a 40s era book from Gandhi. So again, this was this was a pretty cool book with illustrations. I posted this one earlier today over on Instagram. If you're not following me over there, please check it out at Galaxy CDs Rocks. But uh, this is a instruction manual for a Nintendo 64 game called Snowboard Kids 2. You may recall, if you've been following along here for a while, I bought a box full of Nintendo 64 booklets for what amounted to 25 cents a piece back in the spring and I've sold them here and there some of them for 10 bucks some of them like this one for 69.99 with free shipping so this is and it is literally just the book no game no box nothing just the manual so and this one was not even in particularly great shape you probably can't see in the picture but there's a crease at the top where the corner was folded over so here you have a case where you've probably got a collector who has this game, no book. These are fairly rare. Obviously, there were not a ton of them out there. $69.99 with free shipping from a quarter. And now, your flip of the week. Benjamin Harrison, Who's Your Warrior, Statesman, and President. This was a three-book set uh, written by Harry Seavers. Very unusual I, there were very few collections of these. You'd find one book or the other, but not a full set of all three volumes. I picked these up from an estate sale buyout for $0.25 cents a piece. So I've got $0.75 cents in this lot. They went on a best offer at $118.99 with free shipping. So that is a really nice flip from, again, from $0.75. Cents. So old books are not. Again, as I always say, not all super valuable. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see over my shoulder, there's a big stack of books back there that are essentially worth $5 or less with free shipping that will either be lotted up or perhaps taken over to my antique booth or maybe even donated back to Goodwill. But they were part of a big estate buy that I have way more than made my money on. So figuring out what to do with the duds becomes the next piece of the puzzle. But when you buy a big lot of books and you end up with something like this that you can make a hundred and whatever odd dollars are uh, net profit, that is all good. 
I'm going to jump back over into the comments real quick just to see if anybody else has anything to say. And it looks like that's a big no. So I appreciate everybody stopping by today to catch this live. If you are catching the uh, replay, especially over on YouTube, and you like this content, please do me a favor and whack that thumbs up button. If you're watching live, you can <laughs> uh, you can whack that too. If you are not a subscriber to the channel or to the podcast, please consider doing that as well. I go live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern with reselling news and more. And for now, it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.